This is real experience. This is what people go through sometimes. And just thinking about a book that I wish I had when I was 14 and really struggling. So that gave me a lot of encouragement to think like I could maybe help somebody with this book. Mike Corrado made a name for himself with beautiful picture books, like his Little Elliot series. These are heartwarming stories with gorgeous illustrations that I find reminiscent of Chris Van Allsburg. In the fall of 2020, Mike published Flamer, a semi-autobiographical graphic novel about a mixed-race teen coming to terms with his sexuality while at scout camp. It is a raw, unflinching, and authentic look at a coming-of-age story. I was asked to blurb Flamer, and this is what I wrote. This book will save lives. Amongst the many accolades Flamer received, Mike won a Lambda Literacy Award, celebrating literature in the LGBTQ culture. Today, I bring you my pal Mike Corrado's origin story. Origin Stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Krasowski. Jarrett Krasowski. Before we get into today's comics conversation, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books, a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to buy our guest books from this fabulous indie. And while you're over on the High Fives website, check out their curated list of book recommendations. Truly High Five worthy. Okay, on to my chat with Mike Corrado. Hello, Mike Corrado. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. So, Mike. Yes. It's interesting because on, on this podcast, we go into this deep dive on how people came to be. And you and I have known each other for a while now, a, a, uh-huh. a good while. <laughs> and I remember when your first book was published, but I want to get more into, oh, I can start at the very beginning. I know, and I know a little bit about your family life, but could you tell me a little bit about what was your life like as a kid, your family set up, what kind of arts or, or culture did you have around the house? Were comics welcomed? Were, were they just feared? Yeah, I see born on a dark and stormy night <laughs> on brand very uh, on brand right? yeah. from the very beginning the right. beginning <laughs> drama i don't know if it was stormy but it was very late yeah, i grew up outside of new york city in the burbs in rockland county so that's like the west bank of the hudson river above new jersey for folks who like geography like myself and i'm one of three kids but my sister and brother came later so it was just me flying solo for seven seven years getting spoiled by my grandmother and all that good stuff and yeah i loved comics i got into comics maybe sometime in elementary school i had a really close friend that was a big collector and he and his dad would go to like comic book shows So they invited me to go and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. So when I was really little, I loved Batman. Like I was obsessed with everything Batman. So like the movie, the old school TV show from the 60s, all that. So I used to collect Batman comics like in the 80s. And then sometime, I guess maybe it was like sixth grade or sometime in middle school, the X-Men animated series came out. Yes. And I was completely obsessed so i started collecting x-men comics from that point and i really went i went deep with it like i i started hoarding my money my lunch money like i would and i love food as you well know (laughs) i would spend the bare minimum on lunch save the rest of my pennies and go to the comic book store 
and not just buy current issues, but I would buy all the back issues. I would buy these like compilation books that would compile lots of older issues. And comics were acceptable for a time in my household. And at a certain point, my dad was like, you're spending too much money on comic books. You've, you know, so <laughs> I was like, oh, so I had to get crafty, right? Because I wasn't brought to the comic book store. So here's what I did, kids. I did take art lessons from a very early age. I started maybe four years old doing private art lessons. And I went to different places, different teachers over the years. But there's this one place there. I believe they're still open. Art and Design Studio of Rockland. And I spent many years there. So I lied to my parents and told them that the new class started at, say, I don't know, five o'clock when actually it started at 515 because it was just around the corner from the comic shop. It was like a few blocks. (laughs) So I would get dropped off and it was like an upstairs thing. So they'd drop me off. I would run up the stairs. There was like a little landing before you get to the actual classroom. So I'd stop on the landing. I'd count to 30 go back down, peek out, make sure coast was clear, and I would bolt. (laughs) Just book it to the comic book store, like through the back alley too, so I wouldn't be found out in case they were, oh my God, it was like my Mission Impossible. That was like the, uh, that was the baddest thing I did as a kid. And oh my God, I got such a rush out of it. I was like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I would go in the comic shop, and I also had all the new issues, like they would put aside for me, like I was a member. They knew, they knew. Yeah, they didn't know that there was anything covert going on, but they would, they're ready with my stack of the new issues. And then I just like, I'd go through to see what like I could afford in back issues and then yeah, pay my stuff, book it back to class. And how old were you again? Like when you were doing this espionage? Maybe I was in eighth grade. So maybe 14. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's interesting too, because I feel, I feel like a lot of my, my love of comics came from other media at first as well. So that Batman 66, the Batman 89 movie, Mm. that X-Men animated series, that blew my mind. Yeah. When it was released, like that theme song, I could, I can remember. Oh, yeah. And you and I send each other like X-Men stuff all the time. Constant. Constant. (laughs) We're constantly like either sending each other specifically X-Men animated series information. God bless all the other iterations. Like the Disney Plus show that's coming up. I know. Like a continuation, like all the original voice actors. It, I mean, it's. I'm like, is this real life? Is this actually happening? <laughs> but I think it just goes to prove, like, the show was so successful and it has such like a dedicated following that they know they can bring it back because they they have all the loyal folks like us, like the old school folks that are gonna watch it because we're total nerds. Yes, and. There's probably an opportunity, obviously, for them to get the new generations interested in it. I, okay, I can tell you first person story as a parent when my kids were little and they were being given like Disney princess tie in books. And I was like, no, like, well, we should be reading Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. <laughs> but it was a book called Happy Birthday Princess that got my eldest to start reading on her own. It was the first book she ever right. read on her own. And when you were getting into these X Men comics, I feel like. I'm assuming, was it the original Jim Lee run? Is that when you entered into it? Yes. I feel like it was just when he was wrapping up. Yeah. Like the gold, was it the gold and blue teams? Yeah. And Andy Kubert, he was doing a lot at that time. And yeah, it was really interesting to see the 
like evolution of art, like just between just within a few years, like by the time I was a senior in high school, Joe Motorero was illustrating and it was like such a different style, but it was exciting. And I love all of them. Like I, and I used to copy, I used to copy that art all the time. And so that really helped teach me a lot about how to draw comics and I got a little better at anatomy in college when I was drawing actual <laughs> real people. Yeah, they, um, they definitely give you a poor sense of your own body image. As a young man, I was yeah. like, I'm so skinny. <laughs> I'm not going to be as strong as Cyclops. I know, right? I'm just like, so many lumps and bumps. Like, where are these muscles supposed to be on me even? Yeah, never mind how they handle the female characters. Which I mean... That's a whole other level of body insecurity they were giving. False expectations that anyone might have on what... Uh, grown woman should look like i remember showing a drawing of rogue that i had copied showing my scout master and him being like i think you need to work on your proportions here uh, <laughs> wait i he was like she's not gonna be able to stand up like, <laughs> <laughs> wait so i have a question i want to go back to you nabbed the issue that 15 minutes or that mm-hmm. 14 minutes and 30 seconds you had to run over to the comic book store yeah and get back how did you then smuggle those comics into your house you put them in your book bag. Oh, you had your book no bag one's with the you. wiser. <laughs> and then they don't know. I had my big comic boxes, so they would just go immediately into the vault. Nice. Do you um, still have them? I still have every single X-Men comic I ever collected. They're all in there. I feel like at a certain point I upscaled to the fancier wrapper. With like a backboard on it? All of them have backboards. Okay, okay. Right? Like, make sure you have the acid-free ones. <laughs> but like some yeah. of the plastic, like some of the plastic bags, the cheaper plastic bags, they break down. Yes. So you have to pay the extra 10 cents or whatever to get like the one that makes a lot of noise. Which was a lot. It was a lot. But I was like, I am preserving these for all time. So mm. I have a few really, I have a few really valuable ones. But yeah. But you'll never part with them. I can't. I couldn't. Yeah. No, that's impossible. You would, I, if anything, I just want more of the, I don't know. Yeah. My my dream, <laughs> I want first appearance Phoenix. And I'm kicking myself. What is that? Like 101, Uncanny 101. I hope that's the right number because I'm going to get dragged. But Someone will comment. Say, yeah. Thank yeah. you. I Thank you for your service. Because uh, I remember being a kid and seeing uh, like that issue like at a fair for sale and it was $25 oh, then. No. and I was like oh I don't know that's a lot of money oh no. now it's what $25,000 no not $25,000 but it's like a few thousand dollars yeah. for that yeah that issue I'm like oh man anyway oh you're a teenager you're smuggling these x-men comics you're drawing them in your sketchbook you're taking art classes all along did you take art classes throughout your high school life were you taking yes. these special classes on the weekends what were, what, like yeah so the school? same place that i was running my comic smuggling i stayed with them through high school and started working there as well as a teacher oh assistant. nice yeah so sometime maybe it was sophomore year of high school yeah i was asked if i wanted to do that so that, that was really cool so basically i would just help out the teachers in the classes for younger kids yeah just going around and giving tips and stuff and like helping to set up and clean up and i love it yeah yeah that's it i 100 what i did too yeah and it was so empowering it was and that's when you you know something is when you can teach it right? and it just reinforces like your own skill and it was great so it sounds like your parents were really supportive of your art endeavors so did you go to college for art I did. I went to Syracuse University for illustration. 
Was that a difficult thing for your parents to deal with, though? <laughs> it was hard fought to get there. Without delving too much into it, yes, there was some disagreements as to whether or not I should go to art school. What was the alternative? Math, uh, math school or science school? Or was it like, because my grandfather, while he was okay with art school, he was not okay with illustration. He wanted me to become a graphic designer for the because he's the internet is the future there's going to be a right. need for graphic designers i think i basically I, so i'm first generation on my dad's side and he worked very hard he was very self-made and came from poverty and ended up getting a really good job but he was a computer programmer even though his first passion was like music so he was a musician he's still a musician but so for work, he ended up doing computer programming. And when he came to America, he worked a lot of jobs while also taking classes at the community college. So it was kind of, he didn't really understand at first. He said, why don't you just go to the community college, which is so much cheaper, and just become a computer programmer because it's a good paying job. So this, yeah, I think it's a yeah. sort of like immigrant parent mentality of what are you talking about? You're going to do art. You're insane. Like, it how are you? It ain't cheap. How are you going to make money making art yeah. and you're going to go to art school. Yeah. So 100%. So it's like, I get that perspective now as a, as an adult, but also I was like, no, I'm trust me. I'm going to be the worst computer programmer that has ever lived. I'm like, I just, <laughs> I'm like, it's just not my skill set. I just don't, it's not my passion. I don't know. And so, were, were you an, an angsty nineties teen as well? Oh uh, yeah. Like, I'm going to be, you don't understand me, dad. I'm going to be in my room listening to Amos and Nirvana. Ex yeah. Basically <laughs> there was a lot of negotiating. Basically I'm trying to, I don't know. My mom was very, he needs to, do something with, he has this talent he needs to do something with it so they were going back and forth about that but meanwhile i was doing everything i could to like get scholarships and i applied early admission to syracuse and RISD. got into both wow but syracuse i got like a lot of financial assistance so important yes sorry RISD. Oh, actually you made the right choice <laughs> Funny story. So I sent in my, I got my acceptance letter and I declined. I like, I formally declined. And they're like, no one declines. I, I mailed it back in. And then it was like two weeks or something before RISD orientation. I got a phone call from someone and she's like, hi, I'm with RISD and we're very excited to have you. And I wanted to walk you through like orientation and mind you, this is 1999 folks. Right, so like, right. so I'm not getting work. an email or anything. Yeah. And I was like, oh. I'm sorry, is there some mistake? Because I'm not coming. And she's like, what? I'm what surprised mean? they would have done that, being that they would not have received a check from your family. <laughs> and there's that. And there's, I'm like, did someone? Yeah, I don't know. It was just funny to me because I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, wait, what? Higher education, if it's for you, I think it's a great experience. I think it's really important. But to throw yourself into such debt, I just, especially now, Rhode Island School of Design is notorious for not giving scholarships. Yeah. So you made 100% the, the right thing. I was like, decision. I can't. I couldn't. And it was nowhere near how much it costs now. No. But never. You still. never You never would have been able to convince your dad to say, spend no. this much money on that. But I even, I even felt like I can't ask him to do that. I just... Yeah. Yeah. But I was excited about Syracuse because I was also program. worried, oh, if I'm just at an art school, would I lose my mind? Like I wanted to meet sure. different people from yeah. different backgrounds. 
And I was like, am I going to poison the lunch food if I'm around other artists all the time? But it's funny because I, when I went to Syracuse, yeah, there are a ton of different disciplines there. But most of my friends ended up being like the art kids. And then there were the people who loved us. There were a few right. friends <laughs> yes. from other disciplines that are You're like, yeah, what I, what I do is boring, but you all are fun. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because it's a sad fact. Young artists who are coming up can be really mean to one another. Yeah, like that's kind of what I was worried about. And yeah. I wasn't used to... It was funny because growing up like i was always the artist in the, the classroom artist, the like one no one compared humble brag there were yeah. other like folks that were good at art but that was I, that's what i was known for and then yeah. high school i was like oh like i made some friends who were obviously very talented and there was one kid that we became very close because we both loved art and there was someone else that was maybe like really competitive with me that i was like oh god yeah so how would this play out and in all art school setting. But I also wanted to take other classes. Like, so I was excited to be able to take electives and in, in whatever. And so you, you eventually had graduation day, Syracuse mm -hmm. University, mm -hmm. Corrado family. And I know when you got your first book published and you knew, you know, about to where you were living when you were pitching it and stuff. But what was that adjustment like? For me, my grandparents right away were like, okay, so... You're going into the office next week because you got a job and you're like, I'm an artist. Right. Am I going to figure this out somehow? So what I'm, was your path and yes, what I'm, were expectations of? I'll be working at Illustration Inc. <laughs> yes. And... <laughs> I-N-K. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bill. Bob. <laughs> oh, hey, did you get the spreadsheets of the uh, cartoons? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just need to fill out my artist TSP report. <laughs> TSP? TPS? What is I don't it? know. There's a lot of acronyms. There's I don't that understand. From the... <laughs> Whoever commented like, on what the correct issue number is for first they will, appearance Phoenix they will, can also let they us will be know. Able to, yes. <laughs> TPS report? Is that, is that, anyway, thank you again. Thank you for your service. Okay, so I here's here's what I did. So three illustration friends and I, we had this whole idea, like many, that we would just move to New York City after and super affordable. Whatever. Yep. And then at a certain point we saw the writing on the wall. And we're like, we cannot afford to live in New York City. We will live in some basement in Queens and yeah. take the bus into the city to work some horrible job. Let's go to maybe a different city where we can get our foot in the door maybe a little bit easier. San Francisco was our second choice. Also completely unaffordable. Super cheap. Super cheap. Uh, <laughs> very reasonable. Very reasonable. Easy living. <laughs> and then there was Seattle. My friend's brother lived in Seattle for many years and... It sounded great. None of us had ever been there. None of us had a job. None of us had a place to live. We bought a van, a 9594 <laughs> Ford Windstar purple with Venetian blue sheen, which we named Grimace. Nice. <laughs> we drove that and my friend's 86 Nissan Sentra across country, broke down in Wyoming, thought I would maybe die there. <laughs> um, we had overloaded the van because we put everything, all of our Grimace meager positions. It. Grimace was, yeah, he needed a shake. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so we we made it to Seattle finally. It took us several weeks. We lived out of a hotel for three to four weeks. Yeah, we were there for a month outside of the city in Factoria, Washington. And we would take the bus in every day because there was no way I was driving that death mobile. And we literally were just pounding the pavement, like handing in resumes again there was no online applications then you had to go and fill it out interview 
And it was so funny because I was like, the one thing I won't do is work for Starbucks because come on, I can't just move to Seattle, work for Starbucks. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm going to make I decided, I was like, I'm not going to accept anything below $10 an hour, which then the minimum wage then was like, I don't know, six and change. And what year was this? What year did you graduate? This is 2003. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, you're hilarious. But guess the only people who would hire me was Starbucks. Starbucks. So that's what I did. And everything fell into place about three, three and a half weeks in. And I was in a panic. And it's yeah. the first time I had ever started like accruing credit card debt. <laughs> Stressful. Like I had a credit card. I used it like twice to buy concert tickets and paid them off immediately. So now I'm like, oh my God, I have $700 on my credit card, <gasps> which yeah. is like which laughable cred- now. Now I'm yeah, like, oh, I know. that's adorable. <laughs> I would love to only have that I, much yeah, I know, right? Debt. But still, credit <laughs> but card still, debt starts somewhere. It's scary. And I know. It grabs you by the collar and doesn't let go. Yeah. Yeah. I, at a certain point, I was like, should I move back home? Like yeah. that third week, it was like, ooh. But then everything fell into place. We finally found an apartment. We also started lying on our, oh gosh, I'm such a liar, uh, on our apartment <laughs> applications because no one would give us a place. They're like, they're like, you don't have a job and you also are houseless right now. That, is that burning purple van yours? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would put down the address of the hotel. I didn't, wouldn't say it's a hotel. I would just, yeah, this is where I live right now. I, yeah, I'm like and, Madeline, not Madeline, Eloise. Yeah. I'm like a Gen X Eloise. Yeah, that's exactly. It was just like the plaza. But it was like a La Quinta Inn or something. Yeah, I believe it was a Homestead Suites. Oh, nice. Um, So we had a kitchenette. Were you at Starbucks, were you utilizing your art skills to make bulletin boards and chalk drawings? I did what I could when I... There wasn't a lot of opportunity to do that because everything was already so regimented. Yeah. At that point, everything was very like must be corporate approved maybe there was like an employee of the month that's what i used to do an employee of the month thing so i'd do a little portrait nice of the person and yeah so that was cute and at some point i had a little art show in our cafe like because we would have local artists hang their stuff so that was fun i did that i had a month there where i showed my work (laughs) yeah but i just i worked for starbucks for a year and one week and what were your art goals, though? Obviously, you love illustration. And I know how the yeah. story ends, but what did you? What was your dream situation? Publishing was the goal. It was. Okay. So when I entered college, I was thinking maybe comic books, but I was open to other stuff. And then I rediscovered my love of children's books my sophomore year. So freshman year is like a foundation year. Everyone takes the same stuff. And then. Yeah sometime that year choose concentration slash major and so it was sophomore year when I started mostly looking at the Society of Illustrators annuals and stuff like that a lot of the work that I was drawn to was the book work and so then I started I was learning more and more in class about children's books but also going to bookstores and like seeing what's what And I just knew I wanted to do it. And I was already soliciting on my way out the door, like when I graduated, because my whole plan was like, I'm going to get a book deal. And by book deal, you meant like picture books, Picture books. And two years ahead of me, Jason Chin graduated and he got a deal right away. And I was like, wow, Jason Chin, who obviously has made it. Yeah. Lots of award stickers. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I was hoping for. And I got a lot of very friendly rejections. And you're like a senior in college and you're sending out your stuff? Is that it? Yeah. So basically, like, I was able to do a, what do they call that? An independent study with one of the teachers and just 
making a book dummy, yeah. writing a book, making a dummy. So by the time I was graduating, I was ready to send it out. Gotcha. So as I'm moving to Seattle, I'm like mailing copies of my book dummy. What was it like, called? It was called The Adventures of Pina and Zed. Okay. And it was based on my host mother. So I did a semester abroad in Italy, my junior year, and my host mother, Pina, and her dog, Zed, Zedino. Those were the characters in the book. And so it was this story about the neighbor's dog chased this cat. Like they were trying to find this these missing pets, basically. Okay. And they were, they were going all over Florence. And so you would see all of the... Like the, the touristy, yeah, yeah, all the touristy spots following this trail, but and learning some Italian vocabulary. And it's so funny, like looking at it now, reading it now, it's okay. Obviously, this person had some potential, but could not write you very well. <laughs> you weren't there just yet. I wasn't there yet. And but that's basically what all the editors and art directors were telling me. They were like, you've got something, the story. Someone said once, the story hasn't quite found its groove yet. Like, yeah, it's bad. Thank you. But um, they saw potential, which is... Exactly. And so yeah. they were like, don't stop. Keep going. Keep sending us stuff. And 10 years later, or no, maybe longer than that, years later, I ended up working with one of those people, Amazing. with Martha Rago. Amazing. Uh-huh. And at the time, though, I don't know about you, but again, this is why I love this, because we have been friends for so long now. I had such a similar path was... I'm so afraid I'm going to disappoint my grandparents mm. who had that men same mentality of this is not a sensible thing to to study art that I started sending stuff just before I graduated. But every rejection, I would be so either I'd either be pissed or crestfallen or and now when I look at those rejection letters, I'm like, oh, they were referencing something that was in the book. That was actually really nice of them to write yes. me back. Yeah. What was your reaction when you got those sort of responses? Did you understand at the time that those were kind and nurturing responses? It was mostly disappointment. I guess I saw some hope in that they were obviously being encouraging, but I did feel very defeated because yeah. I, I just didn't. I didn't have the support system. I didn't have people to turn to like an editing group, like a writing group or something. I didn't know that something like SCBWI even existed, that I could get more resources. But I, there was just no one I could turn to be like, I need help. I needed feedback, like actual line notes. And I did what I could, but I just couldn't. I remember like sending a revision and there, and she was like, yeah, this just still isn't really working. And you thought that um, was like, you're like, that's going to be my chance to get it published. I revised it. Yeah. I don't know. I, at that point in your life, like when you're out of school, you're very much in survival mode. Early, and it's a early very 20s, scary time. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I used to cry a lot. You're working some old service industry job where people like customers treat you like crap, like, crap, yeah. like you're not a human being. And and I had also like just come out. So you had a lot going there on was then. Yeah. a lot going on. So at a certain point, I just not gave up. But I was like, I can't do this right now. And get published. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't really know what to do. And so... I would, when I could get the money together, I would send out a postcard every mm -hmm. so often, but I got zero responses from sending out postcards. Some people do. Some yeah. people were on it. That's how, that's the old school way of doing it, sending out a postcard of your work to different art directors. Yeah. It just seemed like no matter what I tried, it wasn't working. And meanwhile, it's like, I have to, I have to survive. Like I need a paycheck. So I shifted to graphic design, got an internship with a small graphic design firm in Seattle. It was called Thread. And these two amazing women like took a chance on me. And 
I learned so much from them. And I had zero design experience, honestly. Yeah. Like I showed them my illustration portfolio and this one concert poster that I made. And they're like, okay, so we can see that obviously you have compositional talent and like we can help train you. Like it's an unpaid internship. Yeah. And yeah. it was supposed to be half a year. I ended up staying for 10 months because wow. I was getting so much out of it and they really trusted me. And every now and then they would throw me one of their clients. Like I would just nice. be in charge of a smaller project. So I was able to build a, a junior design portfolio that way. And then after that, I, okay, so I'm still working at Starbucks. Then I couldn't stand it anymore. So I had to quit. I started working in an art store at Utrecht nice. in Seattle. And then I realized this isn't sustainable either. Like I'm getting paid even less than I did at Starbucks because I don't make tips. And, and I'm sure whatever you got for a discount sort of still negated how much you were spending on art supplies and what you're making. Totally. Yeah. 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 But they, they were awesome people that I worked with. But then I, because I was, I feel like every day I was calling the ads for jobs and stuff like that, creative jobs. Looking at, so, so the listeners know physical magazines and newspapers right like to find yeah jobs. you you could search online at that point you could okay also and something and I, did you were you doing both print and online searches yeah yeah and something i came across was it was originally called creative assets which was like a creative staffing agency in seattle and then it was called filter later but basically I got an interview to show my portfolio and they're like, okay, you're still green. But sometimes we need help around the office. And I'm like, I will do literally anything, anything. <laughs> as long as I get paid and like you, you all consider me for future stuff. So they had me come in for data entry and just mindless clickety yeah. clack. And, and you're, like, so, you're, so you're mid twenties now? This is still so early 20s. Early 20s. Okay. So I'm maybe 24. Okay. And so maybe day two of data entry, the phone's ringing off the hook. They're like our receptionist just our admin just left because we placed her in a gig and at a certain point one of the talent managers was like can you grab the phone please just can't so i picked the phone creative assets this is mike can i help you and she like heard me fielding this call and like taking the notes and everything and she's like you're good on the phone and so <laughs> she's do you want to maybe take over the admin position here let me talk to somebody so that's what i did so I did that for a year or maybe more, maybe a year and a half. So I was basically in charge of scheduling, phone calls, file maintenance, all the yeah. admin. I I'm just like, you were Janine to their Ghostbusters. I was Pam. Yes. Janine, yes. yes. <laughs> I always think myself as Pam from the office, but with no gym. There was no one. I Damn was it. like, where is he? But, oh, but I learned so much. I learned so much about how the Seattle design industry works. And I was meeting all these different people and I made friends with the talent managers. And at a certain point, there were the talent managers were like, you have to quit so we can hire you. And I was nice. like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And at that point, I was taking on either low paying design jobs or pro bono stuff, honestly, just to build my portfolio. And so once it was strong enough, once my friends in the office were like, your portfolio is it's good now, like I set an end date. And I just prayed to God. And that wasn't just like when I moved out to Seattle, there was like two weeks maybe where I was like, oh God, yeah. oh my God. And, and, I'm like, oh. yeah. and then, yeah, at the end of two weeks, you're like, how would you like to work for Cranium? I was like, the board game. The board game. Oh, that I was, was like, the what? biggest how? thing. It then, was. Too. And let and me tell you, design. I arrived on the scene at Cranium during like the golden age. It was an amazing company to work for. 
And Gary Baseman did all of the illustrations. Gary right? Baseman, yes, he did most of the illustrations, definitely for the the, the board game board itself. Game, yeah. um, he designed all the characters. He didn't obviously work on site. Sure, he did come yeah. in the office every, every now and then for a meeting. So I was their prototypist. My job included making drawings like for the team that would brainstorm new games so i would make drawings that they could show in a deck like present in meetings and then i would actually mock up ideas for board games that they would then play test with families like they would come wow, in so we'd cool. sit behind a two-way mirror and watch them play with, like, with notes. it were you wearing lab coats <laughs> just tell me you're wearing wish. lab coats yeah <laughs> i wish yeah yes <laughs> nerd glasses i already had nerd glasses but <laughs> And sometimes it was funny because it's more like a psychological. I'm just like, oh, this family, huh? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm gonna, boy. I'm gonna use their story for a book later. I'm like, oh, Timmy's gonna turn out fine, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but it was a great place. I, st- I still have some very close friends from working there. So I worked there for. Here's where it gets a little cloudy because I, I worked there for a little bit, and then it was just a contract, right? So sure. my, con- when my contract ended, the agency found me another gig at Microsoft. So then I was doing like icon design work at Microsoft. So it was like very much a combination of illustration and graphic design for Windows Vista. So as you may recall, those icons, I mean, it was like bells and whistles Mm -hmm. with more bells and whistles on top of them. Because they could. Because they could. said they could make that. And I got paid to do it. So I was like, look, okay, if this is what you really want. So I did work for them for a while. And just when I my contract was about to be renegotiated with Microsoft, my old boss from Cranium got a hold of me. And I was like, oh, I was just about to. And she's like, oh, no, don't sign anything. <laughs> we want you back. So I ended up going full time at Cranium. Wow. Yeah, it was great. And then, so I was there for a few more years, and then unfortunately, it got bought out by Hasbro. So I got laid off. They only kept like a handful of people. So, you know, everything for a reason. Yeah. And so then I was just freelancing and doing an occasional contract for Microsoft and then a lot of like side gig stuff. And that went on for a few years. And then I got a full-time job with geocaching. The company is called Groundspeak. So geocaching is, oh, you don't know? It's like a GPS treasure hunting game. Oh, so yeah, you download an app. It can be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, you would not, you need to Google this because there are geocaches hidden all over the world. Like a treasure. Yeah. And so it's more about like the hunt for it is like the exciting thing. Sometimes they're different sizes. Sometimes it's like a capsule that or cache it's called that you could hide things in sometimes just like a little thing as small as like a thimble that you open up and you just sign your name on this sc- little scroll of paper to be like oh jared was here and what year is that oh my god i think i started there in 2008 or 9 okay and so i worked there for a few years and at a certain point i was like the design manager so yeah, so that's the last full-time job I had. I left in 2010 or 11, and my friend who worked at the same place, she and I started our own company. It was specializing in wedding invitations for gay folks. Nice. Called Queer Getting Married. <laughs> I have no doubt that you would have delivered a great pun to contribute to that. (laughs) So I did, I was doing that and a lot of freelance work. I did a lot of work for Amazon at that time Uh doing Kindle icons. So at one point in time, if you ever had a Kindle, you were pressing buttons that I designed. That's wild. Yeah. And then I finally got my book deal. 
If you're enjoying my chat with today's guests and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as a webcam, your remote guests, and any pre-recorded video or visuals you want to bring on screen. I would like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of the service. Were you still living in Seattle when I'm you got still the book in deal? Seattle. Still in Seattle. I moved to New York in 2013. So I got my deal in 2012. And then... So throughout then... So then, okay, let me backtrack. So throughout mm. these jobby jobs, you were still tinkering on your own stories. And when did you get the courage then to start sending them out again? So once I had my kind of cush design job, the last full-time gig I had... I was in a different place, obviously, than when I graduated school. Like, I was financially secure for the first time ever, and I just felt bored. And I saw myself, it was a good company to work for, and I could just keep doing it. There was no end to it. I was very appreciated there, but I felt really unfulfilled, and I started thinking again about... I'd always thought about books during that whole time, and every now and then I would, like, make a painting or try writing something. It would go nowhere. I get frustrated and walk away from it. Yeah. And I was still doing the postcard thing every now and then. And then I think it was, <laughs> I was having like a, I don't know if it's an existential crisis. May, that may sound too dramatic and I would never. But sometime around turning 30, I was like, but this isn't what I want. This mm-hmm. isn't what I want to do. I just remember having this moment in the shower thinking like, I need to either get really comfortable with the idea of it not happening or I just need to really actually try to make this happen so I could say that I did everything that I could. So that's why I decided I was like, I'm going to go hard (laughs) and try to break in before I give up. Yeah. yeah. So I don't have any regrets, basically. So I tried leaving the company, starting that wedding invitation business and going back to freelancing full time was part of the five-year plan along with my other friend who had publishing goals for us to have more flexibility with our schedules so that we could actually build in time to write and time to do the research and time to really try to make connections in publishing. And that's when I found out about SBWI. Which is Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Yes. So I went to a few regional meetings in Seattle And then another illustrator, Jamie Tamaric, she recommended the New York, the international conference. One of the big ones. Yes. So, yes. So winter is New York, summer is LA, and they happen every year. And at the New York conference, they have a juried portfolio show, and all the art directors and editors are invited in the children's book industry. So I thought, okay, this is something I can do. This is like... I can make some opportunities for myself by just going there and I can learn a lot because they have workshops and stuff. I'll enter my portfolio and this seems like a good way to give out. You can leave postcards. I'll save on mailing. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, flew to New York. I stayed with a friend and I ended up winning the show. Wow. And so that, that was a gag because I, what year was that again? 2011? 2013, 12. 12. Yes. Yeah. 2012, January, February, something like that. And so I was like, 
holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden. And I had this eerie feeling too. Like when they announced the award that morning, I had, I was like, like I teared up. Cause I was just like, I think maybe this might be it. I yeah. think this is my moment. And you're, and, and again, you're 30. I was, oh God, I have to do math. So like 31. Okay. This is your, like this that. is your Kelly Clarkson, a moment like this. Yeah. One American so Idol. So like, yeah, exactly. So, WWI. Yeah. Confetti comes down. So I was 30. So I don't know. Maybe I need to give up. Sure. And then 31, I was like, I'm the king of the world. So <laughs> there, it was like just this moment that everything came together. Like everything I'd ever worked towards just came together. And I was yeah. like, okay, I have your attention. So I'm not going to stop like tap dancing <laughs> until you give me a until book you <laughs> give me what I want. But like later that day, just my inbox was filling up with messages from editors and art directors because little Elliot was in the portfolio uh, and everyone was like, who that? Mm, like beautiful who's cute this elephant, elephant? What, what what's the story you have a story right i'm like oh yeah there's definitely a story there was no story <laughs> I always say there's a story there's... that's how grace lynn got her first book contract oh yeah they liked her art they're like do, do you also write and she said yes absolutely and then she immediately said i have to figure out how to write <laughs> Oh, she sure did. She sure did. She sure did. <laughs> Newberry Honor National Book Award finalist, <laughs> Legacy Award winner. Yeah. Oh, it must be nice. Yeah. And so that's how. So that's how you got your first book. Then, so you had this little elephant, put a little cute polka dot elephant yeah. in your portfolio. Took a chance on this conference. You took a chance on putting yourself in there after feeling defeated for like almost a decade, right? For not feeling defeated in general, but like on that one thing that you really wanted. And then somebody wrote you and said, is there a story? And you took a moment and you said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and. Yes, um, and. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and. <laughs> yeah. If you're interested in doing children's books, it's important to have one, at least one character that you're showing multiple times in your portfolio. That's something that art directors look for to, so that you can prove, I know you know this, Jerry. No, for the, for the, the audience, folks at home. The but yeah, this, yeah. That they can see you can consistently draw this character and show it in different scenarios, different with different emotions. So I guess I checked that box. Uh, but also the character was just really... It's adorable. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so my, and my introduction to you was actually ahead of Book Expo America. On Twitter, everybody was posting photos of little Elliot on tote bags. Yes. That tote bag that made your the career. It bag of BEA. It was. 2014. It was this giant bag. People still use it. I mentioned it to me. It's like giant tote bag with little Elliot. And like I helped design it with the, there was a designer yeah. at Macmillan that worked on it. And like we kind of, collaborated and they really did a, such a great job with it and people went bananas for it they, they were giving it away and it's not an easy get to have your publisher invest that much money in swag yeah and meanwhile we're all at home like who's this kid who's the, I know. who's this kid with his tote no i don't no i my age my, my agent is brenda bowen <laughs> who's this she who's this i wanna i want this boy's name <laughs> me <laughs> yeah my agent was just like okay they're really investing in you because it wasn't just the tote it was like i had a three book deal right and they had a, this big marketing plan and she was like okay just be realistic the publishers will say like a pie in the sky marketing plan and then they'll reduce they'll, but then we went in for back. a meeting with all like all these people and they had added to the marketing plan we walked out oh. there she's like okay they mean business 
if you can, like, just do everything that they're asking you to because not everyone gets this. That's right. And I was like, okay. And I did. I was just very open. I'm like, I will go on tour for as long as you want. I will hop on one foot and yeah. wave this tote bag around. I don't care. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember, But just one more thing about the tote bag, just because it's so iconic at that BEA. Because, you know, no one knows who I am. As you mm-hmm. said, you're like, who's this kid? <laughs> and I had like my first book signing ever there. And I'm walking around with the tote bag with another tote bag rolled up and stuck in it. And mind you, like the limit was one per person, right? So all these librarians trying to get their hands on one bookstore folks. And this woman walks up to me and she's like, how did you get two? I'm like, I'm the author. And she's I was like, and this one's for my mom. And she'll be really mad if I give it away. She's like, oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> then that's when we I first met you though, because I was hosting the gala for the Office of Intellectual Freedom. And you were there. I remember Yeah. I remember being like, hey, we're I gonna, remember meeting it. We're yeah. gonna come over here and sit. Come over and sit. And yeah. then I made everyone dance and I pulled you up and made sure you all were dancing too. <laughs> that wasn't a requirement. That was a Jared thing. 100%. Well, it doesn't take a lot to get me to dance. <laughs> no, you were. You're like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, that, that was our first meeting. And then we met a bunch of times. But I think one of the coolest early memories I have of our friendship is I was interviewing Chris Van Alsberg at the 92nd Street Y. <laughs> and I introduced you to him after. Yeah. And he knew your book. He was like, oh, I like that book. I've seen that book. Were you into his stuff as a kid, as a teen? I was obsessed. Yeah. He was like one of my, that's why I was there. I was like, he's one of my inspirations. If you look at little Elliot, I mean, it's very much inspired by his graphite work. And I'm a big Edward Hopper fan. Those two probably influenced me the most. Maybe Ian Falconer also, like when I was creating little Elliot. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I could see see that thread there for sure. You spent several years establishing yourself as Mike Corrado, who creates these beautiful picture books about Little Elliot. You also illustrated several books, What If, by one of your best friends, Samantha Berger. And you have this track of being known as the picture books, like happy, friendly, fun picture books. And tell me about what it was like to transition from saying to your agent, saying to your publisher, okay, but now I want to do a young adult graphic novel that's (laughs) going to be a whole other thing that's going to be much more intense, that's going to be very truthful. So Flamer is a work of fiction, draws from your life as a biracial gay man coming up, being at a summer camp, being in Scouts. As I said on the blurb, like I said, this book will save lives because it's such a powerful book that lets kids be seen and understood and it's unflinching. And so tell me about that, those conversations. Yeah. Cause you're, they're like, but Mike, we have these tote bags. <laughs> we have these wonderful look. I thought we made it clear. We had these happy elephant tote yeah. bags. Can we just stay with the elephant tote bags? We're going to need some new swag. You're like, um, hear me out. Yeah. <laughs> It's called Flamer. Flamer, yeah. I don't know, maybe like a lighter or... (laughs) A lighter? (laughs) Yeah, for kids. No, basically, I had... I can't remember when I first had this idea. I was looking back through my journals and like writing notes and stuff. And I think I first had the idea for Flamer. God, I was still living in Seattle. So it had to have been right around the time that I was selling Little Elliot. Yeah. Um, so I, I still wanted to make comics. Yeah. I still wanted to make 
a graphic novel someday. And they were just like notes. And then maybe I wrote a few pages of memories. It was just back burner stuff mm-hmm. for nope, like no a few intended. years. Oh, <laughs> I actually I didn't, but wow, <laughs> I'm so funny and I didn't even know it. So at a certain point, I was like, I need to get in, into graphic novels. Like this has been a dream as well. And I shared the idea with my agent and she was like, I love this. We need these books. Yes. So just write it. And I was the one actually that was like asking her, I'm like, I don't know, can I write about this? Can I write about that? And she said, just write it. Don't worry about, do not self-censor, do not edit yourself as you're writing. Just write it. And she's, and then share it with me. We can always cut things down, right? We can always edit, but just let yourself go. And I did. I was so nervous. There's There are things in the book that like make me squirm that I'm just like, oh God, but I know it's true, right? Mm. This, this is real experience. This is what people go through sometimes. And just thinking about a book that I wish I had when I was 14 and really struggling. So that gave me a lot of encouragement to think like I could maybe help somebody with this yeah. book. Yeah. So I wrote, this like with them in mind and when i shared it with my agent i was surprised at how much she gushed over it like i was i was expecting her to be like "Ooh, i don't know this is intense and dark like i don't know if they're gonna go for this but she's i love this and she sent it to laura godwin my editor my little elliot editor yeah and she was so supportive she's like yes we're buying this asap it did sit on the back burner for a while like we made the deal but then there were all these other books that i had to sure <laughs> had to make yeah but i had nothing but support from my publisher i'm really grateful for that they didn't edit anything out that's obviously God for them for yeah doing that yeah because it is such a powerful book and it speaks truth i can't tell you how much i love flamer and i've been saying that since it was just a pdf <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that you would email me yeah that you're trying to do this thing when i know so full well how how tricky it is like to write something that is just so raw and honest and the anxiety and fear you have about putting it out into the world i remember we were out shortly before the book was published and i recognized in your face that, oh my God, I'm putting this out there. Mm-hmm. Like, here's something that has existed in the margins of sketchbooks mm-hmm. for like a decade plus, and now it's, here it is. And although it was, it debuted when things were still shut down, it has defied the expectations of, because most books that published during the height of the pandemic didn't perform well, but it's out there and kids are reading it and we have booksellers and librarians championing it all the time. I'm so grateful for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for those librarians and booksellers who are standing up for intellectual freedom. And the two of us have both have had to deal with book banning situations, book challenging situations. You had posted this very funny video, (laughs) funny and poignant video on TikTok recently where so you start where you're very confessional, where you're talking about how difficult this is and these awful messages you get. And then it turns into this comedy bit where you're like, maybe if you just read a book instead of banning them, because oh, cause, cause they always are using the wrong grammar. Like they're getting the, their, yeah, theirs wrong. They're hard to read they're, because... Yeah, they're hard to read because... hard to read because... The grammar is so poor. Yeah. And so I duetted that. And then like the, your video got shared wide and other people were sharing it. And I it was just getting into a conversation with someone on a Facebook comment. It's funny because like I'll get a hundred really nice comments and I might not find the time to reply to them. 
but I might get a comment that I feel like this is might be stressful for me, but I feel in this moment, I'm going to engage with this person to talk about what book banning is and means. And I, there's so often this misconception of they can just get it on Amazon or they could just, they just buy it online somewhere. And it's oh. like, you can't, that doesn't, that's assuming everyone has the financial means to do that. Yeah. As someone who had to spend his own lunch money on comic books, I will tell you, be the first to tell you like, yeah, like not everyone has the money or resources to do that. And yeah. also for a book like Flamer, for a book, Hey Kiddo, sometimes it's not safe to ask your, your parent at home, the adult at home for that book or, or for it to even be in the house, which we have discovered during this time of censorship of like parents seeing kids take these books out from the library and being very upset about it. But it's like, Books are a safe place for people to learn and grow. There was just recently an episode. It was like the second time someone had tried to ban Flamer from their kid's library. And very grateful that the PTA or I can't remember the school PTA, board, but they denied the request again because they're like, no, like this isn't just about censoring books. This is about like kids lives. Right. Yes. It's like yes. they need this lifeline. And this parent was just talking about it always gets me when people complain about foul language. And it's like, but this is real life. OK. And yeah. at a certain point, your kid is already subjected to it. Danger. And yeah. Like your kids, your kid has Internet lot. access. Yeah. There's a lot more than what's in my book. Trust the derogatory that, F slur yeah. for like gay folks is in the book. And she not like, used in a pro F slur kind of way. No, not in a reclamation kind yeah, of way. Yeah, no, like it's just big, in used a to slurry hurt the, slur kind of way. Slurry slur to hurt the protagonist. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just, but that that's what people go through. And But she was talking about, and she's, I had to teach my child what this means. And literally said, I had to go through this. And I want to be like, yeah. you had to go through teaching your child about a slur. How about going through being called that word for most of your life? Yes. I yeah. think there's a little bit of a difference. And don't you want to be able to teach your child, here's why this is a bad word and we shouldn't say it. Yeah. So here's how this hurts people. Because if you're not having these conversations with your child, and I'm not a parent, but as someone who's been called the F slur, what if some of those kids like had talked to their parents and like they're been, you know, they, they explain like why it's so awful? Maybe I wouldn't have been called it so much. Yeah. My other guess is that some of those kids heard that word from their parents and used it a lot on me. But anyway, true. <laughs> yeah. Also possible. And I'm actually I'm wearing my silence equals death hat today, which is a slogan from the 90s that the gay community organizers ACT UP came up with when basically they were fighting for people's lives, like during the AIDS epidemic. And I find it very relevant today, like not just for talking about AIDS and gay men's health, but talking about censorship, talking about Roe v. Wade, talking about all these other yeah, racial inequality and yeah, and social justice and yeah, and yeah. it's I find it so relevant with censorship because it's just no, we can't not talk about these things with our youth because that just leads to more problems yes. than not talking the like we just want everything to be nice like we have to have uncomfortable conversations with our youth because it helps prepare them for what's definitely coming uncomfortable um, truths yes yeah and there were a lot of things that i didn't get heads up about as a kid and then when i did run into it i didn't know how to handle it so i don't know folks amen amen yeah. to that. <laughs> amen to that i will say i watched that same news segment 
And what I found so astounding is when that mother was at the school board and instead of saying, she's like, I, my son came home and he, I had to teach him what, instead of saying like the F slur or this, like she said the actual word of the F slur. And you're like, dude, do you not understand there's a difference between using in the context of a narrative story than in a formal setting? <laughs> Did you not get it? Clearly you didn't because you didn't read the book. You just saw that one word. But with graphic novels... You don't have to read them. You just have to open up one page and be like, I don't like that one thing. It's a lot easier to find. There's something about visual imagery in a book that gets people all up in arms because there is a ton of content on Netflix, Hulu. There's tons of things that we watch on TV and no one's trying to like pull movies off of the internet. You know what I mean? No one's trying to do that. Maybe in, in an odd way, like the, the parents can really control and hover over everything. But once you get into a, the young adult territory, that, that kid, like you said, it might not be safe at home. And, and by that, I, I gather you mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're young and gay and you're, if your parents are very homophobic, if it's, it, that might not be safe for them to know your sexuality. You might not, mm. might not feel comfortable. If Like for Hey Kiddo, if you are in a home with drug addiction and abusive parents, that parent might be like, "What do you? why are you reading this? You know what I mean? And it quite, might literally not be safe. And the school library especially is such a safe space. And young people and young adults deserve the privacy of having access to information without being judged or condemned for that. And to bring it full circle, throughout Flamer, your main character, Aiden, has these fantasies in which... He is the phoenix yes. with his crush. Yes. And then the crush is Cyclops. You're able, to, <laughs> you're able to tie in that, like, as you're turning the pages, in your mind, you can go, Well, Mike Carano, I just love you and adore you. And I'm so I'm thankful for your friendship. I'm thankful for your words and your pictures and the light you bring to this world through Flamer and Lila Elliot and all that you do. Oh, thanks, Jared. I love you too. And all of your work. Thanks for what you're doing. See you soon. And by soon, we talk a hundred times a day on a private message group with our author friends. So I, <laughs> we will both open our phones right now and probably see messages from Grace and Lisa <laughs> yeah. about something that's going on. <laughs> see you in the chat. See you in the chat. That was today's origin story. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in picking up some of my guest books and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, a wonderful sponsor of the show. Until next time, you may find me via at Studio JK across all social networks.